Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. I'll only be a minute. Come in with me. What is HomeSense anyway? Look, outdoor furniture is in. Hey, that's a great brand. And it's a six-piece set. Check out this price. Are you sure that's not just the no table? No, chairs too. Is this an outdoor rug? It is. It's nicer than our indoor rug. Outdoor ottomans, planters, patio umbrellas. Are you seeing these prices? You save a lot at HomeSense. This is the year we love our backyard. Can I say something? Yes. I'll get the truck. And that is why I love you. Save on outdoor like never before at HomeSense. Discover a store near you at HomeSense.com. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Like our cheesy mates back in the 80s, let's hope this never stops. It's the Day Trippers. Tonight's emergency replacement show, myself, Phil Casey and Damien Flood are joined in the line by Moley and James Owens as this stripped-down tripper crew reflects on a massively emotional win over Manchester City, which saw Liverpool remain free and clear at the top of the Premier League. We'll also preview the next step to securing the title, which is Sunday's noon away match against relegation scrappers Norwich. But before we go, as ever, we'll engage with your listeners' questions. 
Okay, let's begin our review of Liverpool 3, Manchester City 2. Uh, it's probably fair to say that the game was as draining an encounter as you're going to endure. Stunning highs, crushing lows. Everything seemed to be lost and then everything suddenly possible again. The question for you, James, is will you last another six hours of this shit? Uh, will I or will Liverpool? Well, <laughs> you can only tell for yourself, brother, so... I mean, I, I, I think I'll be all right. Um, you know, I've sort of seen us finish seventh and eighth and I never thought we'd be here again so even now I'm I'm really I'm just sort of enjoying it because I never thought we'd be back here are you, are, uh, you I mean, gen- are you genuinely in that kind of this is a bonus place I mean le- less so than before Sunday I would say because we're in a position now where we are we're leading from the front with the team that were, were the only team that were kind of mathematically above us Had should they would you know go on to win all their games in hand you know beaten and put behind us now yeah so less so than before but I think the thing that makes me more apprehensive, I mean, I don't know if we probably want to actually talk about the game itself, but the thing that makes me more apprehensive going forward is the fact that during, in the course of winning that game, we've obviously lost storage. We don't really know how long for, and, and Twitter is a buzz with, with conflicting reports. Uh, Dean Sturridge, who's obviously Daniel Sturridge's uncle, has suggested that um, he is about 50-50 for Chelsea, but won't make Norwich, which I don't think comes any surprise to anyone with hamstrings. But... Uh, then obviously we're without Henderson for three games as well so that's what worries me now particularly with Chelsea coming up because Chelsea will know if they beat us at Anfield then it's potentially in their hands if City drop points so um, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine but I mean whether we can get through the last four games it's more difficult than it would have been with those two available I think yeah yeah and it's a good point isn't it Molly that James makes there that uh, there's more to lose now and therefore the, the tension is, is ramped up a notch isn't it or are you in that kind of blissfully happy place where we've achieved what we set out to achieve I'm more in the, that blissfully happy place where anything that happens now is basically a bonus. You know, at the start of the season, I would have snapped your hands off just for four plays. I, I even probably would have snapped your hands off for a challenge on four plays and maybe finish fifth. So the way we are right now, you know, I, I whatever happens till now to the end of the season, I'm in a good place. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but that, that City game to me was like a dream. Joe, one of those nice dreams where your grind, who has been dead for the last 10 years, has made you fry up and you go to work on a hoverboard. And, you know, that, that's what it was like. It was just absolute bliss. Okay, there was about 10 minutes of there that turned into a little bit of a nightmare. But then you went back then after Coutinho scored that all was good in the world again. So, yeah, yeah. If, no one, everything's a bonus for me. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Phil? Ah, uh, it's great. I, 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 think I said it in, in the last pod on Monday the last pod <laughs> the last pod of 2014 the, yeah, the, the mythical last pod yeah. Jeez, it was amazing man it was an amazing pod it was just the most incredible podcast we've ever done, <laughs> ever done um, but no all joking aside I, I, I'm because this has been was so unexpected um, I'm incredibly calm about the, about what happens for the rest of the season we've we've overachieved in terms where i Honestly, thought we would be um, three more points, and mathematically, we've we've secured third place. And anything from here on in is a massive bonus. And I know that we're top of the league, and I know we're leading the pile, and I know that it's more. We've got more to throw away now than than anything else. But at the end of the, like at the end of all this, if somebody had said to you in August that we would be challenged for the league come the end of April with four games out, win all four, and you win the league. You would have thought they were completely insane, right? You would have, you, in your wildest dreams, you would not have expected us to be as close to City and Chelsea 
for a start, and you wouldn't have expected to be above City and Chelsea. But doesn't context and bonus and all that go out of it because we're here on merit and no, we're here now. No, no, and, and, and the key bit for me is that we're going into this run-in with no pressure as a football team. We've achieved our, our season's objectives. We've achieved the goals. We've got everything to win and nothing to lose here in, in, in real terms. We, what happens from here on in is just magic. Up to now has been the achievement of the, of the ultimate goal that, that FSG wanted within five years of taking over. Yeah. They've achieved it. Now from here on out, it's the magic space. And when we talk about, you know, there's something magic about this season. Yes, there is something magic about this season. And, you know, it's going to happen. But f- why, why, why fear? Why fear the next game? Why, why fear the actual result when everything that we've done so far points towards us being able to win these four games, with the exception of the length of run that we're actually on? Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm not nervous anymore. I, I, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. It's been a roller coaster, it's, you know. It, it really has, and it's, 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 it's there to be enjoyed as opposed to be feared at this point. Floody, that's pretty valid. But you'd be like myself in terms of uh, the more emotional response to matches, certainly during them. Um, how are you going to fare up here? Are you, are you in that? That nice calm zen place the boys are in I have been most of the season because I was quite happy to get that top four slot so Champions you're, League football. you're, you're no, the reverse you I, have been up to now I, up yeah. to now yeah. but now I'm I'm booking all in here like yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm all in I'm with you man um, the, the reason I'm, I'm looking at it this way is we're top of the league now we have the points Harry. it's not about us falling short anymore in a chase it's we lose the title now like it's, it's ours to take mm. and it, it would hurt me more to actually lose it that way than to be in a chasing pack and just kind of fall short yeah. but now we've got our noses in front it's like when you have a bet on a horse or something gets beaten in a photo finish you know, that will fucking sicken me it really will sicken me I, I don't think I'll be able to take it yeah, um, because of the proximity of it now and you can almost touch it it's just it's just so close yeah. and it's the, the emotion behind it and everything that's behind it I think we've gone beyond it just being about money and just being about Champions League. Like you see Gerard's reaction. There's no money in the world, there's no Champions League in the world would replace winning this title for him. Yeah. Like this is just historical stuff. If we can get over the line, like, like this is back to, to like Shankly stuff. It's it's like McFerguson done with United. Mm. You know, it's it's massive for our club. Not just the, the fact we get Champions League football. It, it kills me at the moment that I always say Champions League football has taken away from football in general mm. um, because I think it, it's all about big clubs getting to the Champions League and it's all about if they can get more money more players the better players and we've all seen it ourselves when we haven't been in the Champions League we haven't been able to compete in the market for players, certain players yeah, that shouldn't be the case you know for me this title I, I don't, I'm not really arsed about Champions League mm. I want this title so bad yeah. I, I don't think there's any of us doesn't want the Champions League I mean sorry doesn't want to win the league I think every single one of us would hang our balls on a line to, to, to get this league win but at the same time I, I, like for me it's, it's, it's scoring the supermodel right we're going to get the banger Right, so basically, though, are we going to end up marrying, or are we just going to have great memories of of those couple of nights out that we had together? And like at, at the end of the day, whatever happens, it's going to be a great time. Well, so well, let's let's not worry about whether I'm going to marry or not. Let's just go and enjoy ourselves. But way fella put to me the other day was, would you take the Premier League title tomorrow mm. and give up Champions League football next year? Ooh, I for one, I would take the fucking that's, Premier League. That's easy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, in a flash, I would give up Champions League. Champions yeah. of fucking yeah, I would. It's it's just we can go out next year and say yeah, we're Champions League football, we finished second. Yeah. I would rather. No, no, I, I know what you're saying, but that's it's 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 in a way. And James, you, you've you've talked about this before as well, and, and you've written about it. 
the idea of giving up Champions League football when you get it, given the amount of money that's involved in the game, and I know I'm, I'm just stepping away from the romantic view of this, right? But yeah. just when you step away from it, being in the Champions League is bigger for the future of the club. I agree. Yeah. Than than winning the league in an, as an event, but for the fans, winning the league will be bigger is bigger than achieving the actual Champions League. If, and I think that's probably the fairest way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> James, would you would you concur with that? Yeah, of course it is. Um, you know, if you if, if you if you ask me, you know, would would you sort of give up the sort of Champions League football that would come from actually winning the league just to win the league? Well, then yeah, because I've never seen as you know, I've never never properly seen as win the league. So absolutely. Um, but you know, the great thing is we don't have to make that choice because we get both. So um, that's that's the nice thing about it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is it is one of the sad things about football now. The way that the kind of um, merely qualifying for a competition by finishing in the top three or four sort of can kind of override actually winning things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the the reason it overrides winning things is because in theory, and everyone's looking to a better future, you know, it, it, it will open up opportunities for you which gives you a better chance of winning things in the future because you can have, you know, you can attract better players, you can pay better wages, you can have a, a greater squad depth. So you, you're better placed to compete both you know, on the on the, mo- the most important fronts, the league and, and and Europe, but then you're also better placed to compete for domestic trophies as well because you've got greater squad there. But again, that that's the wonderful thing about where we are. We never expected to be here. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of us thought we'd probably finish fifth or sixth. If you'd offered us fourth by goal difference in August, pretty sure every one of us would have snapped your hand off. We're in a situation where we're ten points clear of fourth. We're, we're third. We're no, sorry, we're not. We're top of the league. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, st- I'm still not used to it. But um, <laughs> you know, now we're, we're four wins, and we'll go into all of those games as favourites. Even if against Chelsea, it'll be a tall order. We're we're, we're four wins away from you know. The guarantee of being champions of England. I mean, what you know, what a wonderful situation to be in. I think expectations will only be raised from here. So yeah, we've just got to enjoy it really well, to as great a degree as we can. Because a lot, of, a lot of people are obviously very nervous, but yeah, yeah. Well, clearly, yes, the logic and emotion being uneasy bedfellows. So let's start talking about the actual match itself, then, James, and we we'll stick with you here. Um, our defence, and uh, let's stick with the central area with, with Minulay. He made a couple of. Top class saves, in fairness, punched reasonably well. Um, Skirtle and Sacco, are they the partnership now to see us through to the end? Uh, pass form from Rodgers would seem to suggest that. What, what, how did you feel about the centre of our defence? Um, in answer to the question about Skirtle and Sacco, I would think so, yeah. Because, I mean, Rodgers had to pick Sacco away at West Ham. But there was obviously, and we discussed it at length last week, there was the big question over what was he going to do with regard to Skirtle or Sacco uh, Sacco or Aga for this game, and the fact that he picks, if he's going to pick Sacco to play at home against City, you think he's going to pick Sacco um, and stick with him. And I think the thing is, you know, looking beyond this season, it's probably it's been fair, and I didn't expect this to be the case. I think as recently as kind of mid February, I was saying I thought Skirtle and Aga could both go, but now it looks as though Skirtle has probably not just secured his future at the club, but has nailed down the right hand side of the, the central defensive partnership. And it's looked for a while, I suppose, really like Aga might go, and it's probably going to be Skirtland Sacco at the start of next season. I mean, as to how we did, as to how we did overall, I mean, another goal from Skirtland, that's seven now, and he scored a lot of them important, in important games, and that's that's another very useful thing to have. But I mean, I, I think Skirtle, apart from the time where he got done by Aguero on the touchline when Silva should have made it three-two, apart from that, I thought Skirtland was absolutely outstanding. I mean, we got a bit lucky when he's kind of punched the ball clear 
But I mean, even then, there's maybe a dark art to sort of doing that and not getting caught. But I mean, Sacco, uh, yeah, I thought Sacco did well, but I think it was kind of more, though it seemed to be a game where rather than kind of playing against a direct opponent, because when Aguero was quiet and then and Jacko seemed to be drifting wide of the box a lot to get on the ball, which is credited particularly to the way we played first half, I think Sacco was probably a bit more quiet. He did what he needed to do and he did it pretty well. He didn't, re- didn't really put a foot wrong from what I can recall. Maybe, you know, the odd pass given away. But I think with uh, Skirtle, Skirtle was really, really impressive because so many times he was just in the right place to make the clearance, make the block, you know, had the ball clear, whatever. And just time and again, he, he was in exactly the right place. I mean, again, Mignolet was was uh, was very impressive too. You know, some some crucial saves. You know, he was a bit more aggressive coming out of his line. Even when he didn't necessarily comprehensively deal with something, he did just about enough. And uh, again, I mean, there was the one occasion which sort of like my heart was in my mouth a bit where I think he passed it straight out to Jekko in the first half he was yeah. looking for one of the backs. yeah apart from that I don't think Mignolet made any major errors either I mean although we conceded two goals that if anything has come more from just not doing enough to stop City possibly even in the kind of the fullback areas and in terms of midfielders helping out the forwards but they're a good side they, you know they're going to they're going to sort of be able to carve you open at times. And that was what happened for the two goals we conceded. But no, I think those three did pretty well, really. You know, they put it this way, they did enough against a good team in a big game. And, you know, we've come through and won. So you can't really have too many complaints. Very true. Um, Flutie, yourself, what, what, what did you, how did you feel the centre-halves did? And would you say that basically they're the two now to take us through to the end, uh, given the unlikelihood that Brendan will switch it up? Uh, I, I said it the last time I was on the pod that when Sacco came into the game, there's no reason to take him back out. Um, I, I feel that with any real centre-back partnership once you get in and you do well you should remain in the team mm. um, I don't see any reason why Jagger should come back in ahead of Sacco I think Sacco and Skirtle have performed very very well in the last two games I, I don't see I don't think they've put a foot wrong in both games they've been competent in the air uh, with the ball at their feet they've come out of the back like Sacco's pass completion rate is, is, is in the 90s every yeah, single game you know it's fantastic game, yeah. and, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that because everyone thinks let's stick him in because he can head a ball clear yeah. he's a lot more accomplished footballer than just that um, I, I, I still think we're, we're weak in the, the fullback areas yeah talk to me about the fullbacks Floody, because that's that's somewhere where I wanted to go next and uh, you could say definitely that um, maybe Johnson took a little bit of a step back and Flanagan maybe didn't have his best game to say the least Um it's the one area of our team where, and listen, don't get me wrong, we're still winning matches, but it's the one area of our team where we have a little bit of lack, lack of depth, isn't it? There, there, there just seems to be a, a bit of a weakness in, in both of them. I, I said it the last time I was on the pod that they don't like the 1v1 situation. Now, do we seem to be coping quite well? And I, I thought with Navis up against Flanagan, he, he would have run up the whole time. Mm. He seemed to be doing quite well, but when they made the switch with Milner, and I actually thought at the time, this is a great substitution for us, but what they done was he started doubling up on them. And it's it's kind of hard to knock the two fullbacks in general and say, listen, this is your fault or, or, or these are poor. We've got to remember we've no wide man playing in front of them that does all the tracking. Like yeah. That's that's up to kind of Henderson to fill in there, and he's not going to be able to do it all the time. Um, Pellegrini was quite smart that if you know the second half, he doubled up on Johnson and he doubled up on Flanagan every single every time, time yeah. and they, they didn't actually go one v one and and take him on. They passed around them, yeah. and and they were getting little pockets of space all the time, and that's purely because you had nobody protecting the two of them. Mm. It's and if you've got Silva and Nasri, they're going to be able to do that. They're, they're going to be able to do that. it. Yeah, it, it was like they were so comfortable on the ball; like they were getting them moving fairly sharp and fairly quick. Um, the last three games, I don't see Norwich doing that against us. I don't see Palace doing it against us. I don't see, one thing's for fucking sure is Jose Mourinho has spotted that weakness mm-hmm. and he will exploit mm-hmm. that weakness if we don't look at that in particular. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, fill that weakness though. It, it is related to what's ahead of the lads, isn't it? In fairness, not just them and their their maybe uh, fr- fragility on one on ones. Yeah. Um, again, I suppose when you see the same thing happening again in and it's the fullback area that's getting exploited. You know that good coaches and good managers have have now identified that as a weakness. Yeah. Be it through the fact that with the diamond you are a, a tighter midfield unit and the two boys who are playing ahead of Gerard. Are that bit aren't really wingers um, and not really dropping in as, as auxiliary fullbacks or to, to make a, a six man line when, when, when they're defending as, as, as they push on. I did think though that we the fullbacks performed poorly when, when, when all was said and done in terms of how they came out in the second half and even for about 10-15 minutes before the end of the first half we seemed to drop back the, the defence seemed to drop a little bit deep and the fullbacks didn't seem to get the brief because they stayed pushed quite on and left Gerard a bit exploited um, because when I'm looking at it I often see that the fullbacks starting position should really be aligned to Gerard as opposed to the, the, the centre-backs as such and I just thought they were a bit higher than there but yeah Henderson for all the good that he does in all the games, I thought he wasn't very strong on Sunday for 40, 50 minutes of that game. He drifted in and out. Um, he did have good spells, but he wasn't at his top level, if you ask me, for for, for 90 minutes. And Coutinho had, had ended up doing the donkeys for for nearly everyone on the park because he was just he was phenomenal in terms of the, the amount of space and distance he covered. And you know. That was what it is. What what, what Damien says. It, 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 that's what City exploited in the second half. They took um, Navas off. They just got Minner to stay in and double up on 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 the side that he was on, and they got joy out of it because they they were able to exploit the space around Sacco, Skirtle, and the bit the space that around Gerrard as well. And that it was a change in shape. And credit to City for for exploiting it as well as they did. But they, it, when you've got good players like City have, you're going to be able to do it. Molly, if we take it as read that the defence is going to remain as the defence and um, uh, th- that's just the likelihood of it, what about the man uh, that's sitting directly in front of them, Stephen Jared? Uh, another pretty imperious performance from the man himself uh, on the day and lots of extra stuff to talk about. Uh, that is Jared centric as well with uh, his uh, inspirational huddle and speeches and all the rest of the thing. How did you, how did you feel the captain performed on the day? I have to be honest, I had tears in my eyes at the end of that game when I saw Stevie being emotional, especially in the day that was in it and everything. But, but, but what a captain that man is. You could see it in it how much he absolutely wants this title and how hungry he is for it. And, you know, we'd all love to see Liverpool win the title, of course, would. But for me, more so for Gerard than even the team and the fans, I don't think there's anybody out there who could, who could deny if anyone deserves a Premier League winner's medal, it's that man. It really is. and He's been so amazing the last few weeks. And I really, really hope that we do win the title. But as I said, more so for Gerard than anything else. Well, Molly, talk to me about that um, moment on the uh, pitch afterwards. Uh, you get the more cynical type dismissing it as an unnecessary display of emotion. There were some people trying to take the piss about the fact that there was tears in his eyes and so on. Um, but all I saw there was something that was just massively inspirational. And a fella actually talking sense to a load of young lads which that team is and saying get yourselves together that's over now like he's on the pitch after the most tremendous victory that you can imagine and he's saying that's done move on you know that's just bloody amazing isn't it it kind of reminded me of the, of the old uh, Roy Keane I suppose who was a win United won the Champions League he was inside the dressing room and he was like I was telling him well lads that's it we've won it but that's over now on to next season we win it again and we win the title again and that's what Gerard was like. He saw all the team were celebrating, they were delighted, but he knew, look, we've not won yet. 
we've only won a game, we still have four to go. And he wanted to get the team around him and put that through to him and say, look, lads, put this behind us. Exactly the same again, which is absolute, absolutely inspirational from him. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I loved was the, the, the picture of Sterling afterwards. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter after the, the huddle. He looked yeah. like a kid that just got all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles set for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, it was just pure delight, wasn't it? Just to be part of this thing. That it's almost a lack of belief. You're dead right. It was just that lovely surprise. Um, uh, to, to move it slightly sideways, James, um, and around the, Gerard in the midfield, because look, we, we, we can't really praise the man enough um, on the day. Uh, Phil talked about Henderson maybe being less than his usual level. Um, with the like, with his absence now um, coming up, um, how did you feel the other guys that were in the midfield that they did? There's going to be a lot on them, isn't there? What, you mean in terms of Lucas and Allen coming in? Yeah, well, no, let's just talk, talk about the guys who were there on the, on the day against City. Oh, sorry, bit, right. Let's look, look at Coutinho and, and, and f- again, Phil mentioned the, the work rate that that kid got through. It was, it was immense. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? You know, how often in, in management, you know, managers have got these kind of grand plans and they might be sort of planning, oh, you know, well, I want to I want to buy for this position in, in, uh, in four windows time in about three years because by that time, you know, this player will be winding down. They've got all these kind of, you know, elaborate plans for what they want to do and they'll be they'll be tracking players for three or four years to buy for a you know a certain position in the squad in the future and that and then sometimes you end up in an injury crisis and you put a player in position because there's no one else to play there now I don't know whether that was the case with with Coutinho or whether there was a recognition of the fact that he'd actually got all the tools to sort of uh, play in a, in a midfield three longer term I would expect there was because you know you know a lot of us could kind of see the scope for that and I, you know I'm sure uh, I'm sure Brandon Rogers probably could. Um, <laughs> You know, but I think, yeah, Coutinho, Coutinho is increasingly impressive. I mean, he is, he's a very inconsistent player still. And I mean, you even saw that in the game in the sense that his, his shooting was very erratic. He had a couple of poor efforts in the first half, particularly one which wasn't so much a, a shot as a finish. And the finish was really poor. And then obviously he latches onto nothing to score the winning goal. Um, but no, Coutinho was really impressive. I mean, he's really, um, he's always had sort of good, even when he's kind of played further forward in a sort of a number 10 role, he's always had kind of good sort of tenacity and, um, and, and work rate and I don't even necessarily think it's necessar- so much that he's kind of strong as he's that he's got one a good centre of gravity and two something which I think is more commonly seen in sort of what you would call I suppose like Mediterranean or Latin American players which is just that ability to actually just use the low centre of gravity and kind of shield the ball and spin away from people with it so yeah I mean Coutinho more a central midfielder than anything else now and I mean on his day a very very good one at that in the kind of role that he plays um, and then obviously you know you've kind of the shape sort of seemed to shift from a kind of a, a diamond to a 4-3-3 and again you, you, you never would have particularly envisaged Sterling as having the sort of the the, the guile and the, the kind of the awareness to, to play in the central role as a sort of a number 10 but I mean both of those two you know they probably aren't that many consistently better players in those roles than them in the league. There'll, there'll, there'll be plenty who are maybe about as good, but there aren't any that are vastly better, I think. So again, you know, great credit to them, and I think great credit to, to Rodgers and to his staff, because there was nothing about either, the performance of either of them that particularly surprised you. Yeah, well, that, that's fair. Um, Floody, to, to, to just to finish with Coutinho, 
Um, and if you want to lead into talking about Raheem Sterling as well, um, a point that James touches on there is that idea of these players that we seem to be uh, full of uh, between Suarez and the two boys who can just roll centre halves with whether it is strength or whether it's guile or a mixture of the two of them and low centre of gravity. And it just leaves you, doesn't it, that when you see a one-on-one that should really be, oh, well, that's a defender's ball, it, it isn't. It's What that is, and we don't see it in, the kind of, in Ireland in particular, or even in the UK, is that these players are taught technical ability. That like they, they play on the street with with these small footballs. They so did, they back their they, touch. They, yeah, yeah, it's all about their touch. It's all yeah. about being comfortable on the ball. They, over over in Ireland, we've all played. You're, you're taught to get the ball forward to the big fellow up front and run after it. You know, like the, the biggest, strongest team wins. Mm-hmm. In the, the, a lot of these South American, play, a lot of South American players, and, and the, the, some of the, the teams in Europe, it, it's all about the technique. And like it, it's very easy. Like you don't have to be the quickest player in the world, which Coutinho isn't. He's saying it. Mm-hmm. But if you're technically good, your first touch can always bring you away from play, can always create the air to space. And, and them types of players have it. They have it in abundance. Mm-hmm. And that's, if you look at the players we have that can do it, like it's, it, it is your, your Coutinho, it's your Suarez. It kind of, if you look, Sterling kind of does it, but he does rely on his pace a little bit more than the two lads, yeah. where, where the two lads can, as you said, roll, roll you quite easily mm-hmm. with, with a first touch. And they're always looking, if, if you notice when the ball comes to them, they're always looking to play away from the player their mm. first touch is always away from play mm. where, where sometimes others their first touch is nearly back into play a lot mm. of the time yeah sorry Phil do you want to come in there no I, I, like, you know we've touched on it across the season but like the the one thing about Coutinho in, in that midfield specifically in the big games is that he's such a big game player and I think he, he he's announced himself as probably the best big game player in England this season because if you go back to all our, our, our matches our, especially our home matches the United game the the Arsenal game the Everton game Tottenham game City there yeah. and it's him he, he he's the one that's made things happen he's the one that's 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 made the, the Helen moment the Helen in, uh, sort of part of the game to either swing things defensively or swing things in an attack like we, you, you think of the Flanagan goal and the way he, he wrapped that one away which just sews up the whole game for us you think of uh, all the assists that he put in when he hasn't particularly played well through the course of the year and uh, for me I still don't see him in a, as, as, as an away day player but there's no way you start one of our big games now and we've got four huge monumental games coming up he knows the importance of these games and if there's one player I'm going to back to, to, to be the best player for us over the next four games it would be Coutinho because the mentality he has seems to be the type of mentality that leads teams on to wins well, what I'll say about him is and I don't think he gets enough credit for his actual is, is kind of technical way he looks at the game Like he, everyone looks at him as a dribbler everyone looks like he, he can pick a true pass but if anyone watches when we lose possession of the ball the spaces he fills in um, and that's what's really been key in a lot of the games where we've four teams at Anfield uh, the Arsenal game the, the Everton game even City as soon as we lose the ball he drops in as the third man like he, he comes out at kind of 10 role and he goes in as the third man and becomes a midfielder and there's not many players can do that because most of them want to do one or the other mm. he seems to want to fill both roles and he doesn't get enough credit for doing that like you'll see as soon as we lose possession he drops in beside Henderson straight away Yeah and um, Molly we're talking about a 21 year old there who's obviously got loads and loads of room for uh, potential for improvement but what talk to me about the man who's two years younger than him again um, Raheem Sterling who's playing the tip of that diamond and seemed to have the, the run of the park you know, I didn't think Sterling had that in his game, playing at that tip of the diamond. I always saw Sterling as one of these wingers who could use his pace and dribbling and maybe whipping the ball. And, you know, at times he could probably fill in up front. I didn't think he could play that tip of the diamond role, but he certainly has proved me wrong. 
And what I've been really most impressed by is it's just, it's just his touch of the ball. You know, when Suarez laid that ball off him there at one stage, his touch that he had was fantastic. His composure, especially for, for the goal, that was six months ago. I don't think Sterling could have scored that goal. Yeah. But it seems to me, as of late, Sterling is actually seeing himself as a Liverpool player as such. Yeah. He knows now that I'm a first team or I'm good enough for this team. And the confidence is just shining through the lead. I've been really impressed with him. Well, that's, that's, I that's, can't wait for the World Cup. I, I think he's going to take Brazil by complete surprise over there. Yeah, but that, that, that is a great shout, is the word composure, really. When you think about the, when we saw him carry the ball forward, uh, there was no danger. If you look at the later moments in the game where... Victor Moses and then uh, first uh, was it well, yeah Victor Moses and then then Henderson lost the ball and under pressure and it's the last few minutes and a bad touch and a heavy touch you never ever suspect that's going to happen with Sterling because the kid just seems to be composed and that goal he was just taking the piss out of everybody I mean you've got Vincent Company and 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 and, and uh, uh, the, the the haircut model just flopping to the opposite side and he just rolls he just finishes with a plan doesn't he Hello Molly. Oh, sorry, man. I thought you were so funny. No, man. Thanks for joining us, Moni. <laughs> I thought we were not funny. Yeah. Go ahead, I'll answer that. So, yeah, it's certainly his composure. Like, I remember a, a few months ago that was Sterling often got one on one with a goalkeeper, and he just seemed to panic. He either looked to pass it off to Suarez or he just shot it direct at the goalkeeper. But last week against City, the way he just stopped and just swiveled and hit it into the net. I couldn't believe it. That was fantastic. And it's something he's definitely bringing to his game. And I hope he keeps that in his game in the next few games coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but just, just just before we go, and James, I'll let you in as well. Like, Sterling and Coutinho for, for the, um, the levels that they've achieved over the course of the season um, have to be commended. Like They've gone through, both of them have gone through troughs um, and have come back and have just been so electric to the second half of the season, like I, I remember the, the debates we had around the whole city game, and, and you know after Sterling's performance that day, and was, should he go out on loan? Is he the type of player that needs a bit of a loan at this stage? And he's just gone on leaps and bounds, and I'm, I'm glad that you know we had a manager who so who had enough strength in his beliefs to put Sterling in, and the same with Coutinho. He, Coutinho's been in for the majority, but he's been left out at the right times, and now we're reaping the dividends because. It's his form that's that's making the difference when it, when it comes to the cities and Chelsea's and the whole lot, that's, and that's what's going to swing the title for us. Okay, uh, James, that's a very good point, isn't it? The film makes that um, basically Rogers needs to take an awful lot of the credit for the the, the, the emergence and the continued excellence of these uh, two young players. Yeah, I think I think with younger players, it's kind of um, as with as with a lot in football in terms of what managers actually do day to day, it can, it can be quite difficult to actually know. In some ways, how much is kind of just the player's natural development, or you know, the player having a good mentality, and how much is the manager? Um, you know, it's like you could look at Henderson and say that in his, you know, he was bought in by Kenny, and in his first season, he wasn't anything like as good as he is now. But then he was, he was 21, you know, and it was his first season at a, a bigger club. Whereas now, obviously, you'd expect, say, you know, a midfielder to have improved a lot between the age of 21 and nearly 24. But I mean, as to as to those two. Uh, yeah, because you know there was obviously a stage where people were kind of questioning. They, they really felt Sterling's development had stagnated, and then all of a sudden he comes back into the team and he just looked like he he got it. You know, Coutinho was always a player. I mean, both of these two to different degrees are always players that were marked out as ones who were likely to be you know sort of top level players or something close to it by the time they were kind of in their early twenties. So you know, it, 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 I, I don't think either or anything like Flanagan, where it's kind of a case of almost turning water into wine. 
Um, but yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think we're seeing the benefits really here of uh, the, the the decision FSG took in, in appointing someone like Rogers because Rogers' real sort of reputation, as much as anything else, was was well uh, among being good at a lot of things. One thing he was noted for being good at was basically being a very good hands-on coach, and particularly with younger players because they're always that bit more malleable. They've always got that much, you know. They, they can be moulded that bit more and uh, that was always something that I think appealed to FSG because they want younger players you know that they're on generally on lower wages they've got a better, got better resale value but we're, we're reaping the rewards of that and um, but we're, we're reaping the rewards of a lot of the things I think I think I mean get my get my get my words a bit muddled but I think um, you know Coutinho was, it, the suggestion was Coutinho was more of a uh, and I'm not trying to take any credit away from Rodgers but Coutinho was more of a, a committee target than a Rodgers target yeah. Even if sure Coutinho, you know, sorry, Rogers was well aware of him and that he was a, a player with a you know a lot of good sort of raw materials, and I think you know Sterling obviously was a was a Rafa Benitez sign. You know, again, these teams very often they've kind of got the the mark of many sort of uh, many years on them in a way, if you like. So uh, we're we're enjoying the benefits of a lot of things, but I mean, certainly, yeah, Rogers is Rogers is the man working with him day in day out. He's the one who's sort of he's the one who's you know using Raheem Sterling in 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 the number ten position. He's the one who's using Coutinho in a midfield three. So in that respect, yeah, Rogers does deserve a lot of credit because it's not so much that they're in the team and playing well. It's more the, the manner in which they're doing it, in the roles in which they're doing it. Because I don't think people would really have foreseen that. So um, yeah, I suppose that there, there, there are a lot of other things at play, but you've certainly got to give Rogers a lot of credit. Yeah. Well, that's it. It comes back to that thing you mentioned earlier on about uh, you can have a grand plan if you want it, and you know Brendan's been the first to talk about his grand plan and how they're ahead of the curve. But as you said earlier on, basically um, you work with what you have and you work to the maximum with what you have and he certainly seems to be doing that. Molly, um, I'm very, very curious to hear about uh, your ideas on what you may have heard about Daniel Sturridge because it's gone kind of quiet in terms of um, uh, any clarity on his situation and what, what the situation will be for the last few games. Yeah, well he had a scan today, didn't he, to see the, the extent of the damage and he's definitely up for an orange and it looks like he's probably going to be over for Chelsea as well. I know the independent ran a story today to say that he's going to be over for the season. Like that, that would be a big blow to us. Now I know in the last few games he hadn't made much of a contribution, and if I have to be honest, if, if there's one complaint I have about Storage, is that when he's not scoring, he doesn't actually seem to contribute much. Like if you look at Suarez when he went through his barren spell there, he didn't score for what six or seven games or something. But at the time he was still making assists creating penalties, free kicks, all of that. Sturridge hasn't seemed to be doing that as of late. And I don't know, he seems to have lost that little bit of confidence when he doesn't score. But having said all of that, of course, he's going to be a huge loss if he's out for, for the next four games. That's a big blow because the one the one place where we're kind of weak maybe in the squad is attack. But who's going to replace if we're looking at either Victor Moses or Iago Aspas? And, you know, I don't think any of those are good enough, to be honest with you. I think it's well just on a like we you know we're so reliant on Suarez now if if Sturridge is missing and you know the whole thing that we're going to Norwich and he's going to score another bucket load of goals and at some stage he's going to come up short in a game against Norwich um, and he's not going to score anything um, we've been fortunate that the goals have started to come for players around the pitch like Skirtle scored Coutinho scored Sterling scored there were three scorers on Sunday there was no there was no storage there was no Suarez in, in that, that trio of goal scorers and um, I, I think echo Moly's point like, but then again there's always a folk hero in title run-ins 
there's always there's a, there's room for Victor Moses to come on and score five goals in no. the last four games. Or, no, 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 but th- th- this is this it's like the McCade effect from from oh eight oh nine. Um, never to be seen of heard again like even Baby's got more games for you know, since then so yeah. it's like you know you don't know what's going to happen and in again in, in adversity springs triumph so it's well well, it, it would <laughs> presuming we don't discover Ronnie Rosenthal under the bench somewhere looking at what we have going on you're talking about Suarez and the unlikelihood of, of that run continuing ad infinitum but he nearly took himself out of the equation didn't he during the game I mean he was like a little narc Whinge and moaning. It was every all the worst stuff from yeah, this game. I, I think a lot of this comes down to the players trying too hard, particularly in in, in Sturridge's and Suarez's um, case. Because I I think when you looked at them, they were so fired up. I think Sturridge wanted to prove that he wasn't gone off the boil and that he was going to get a goal and was, you know, pulling a few things. Even the even the one that Stur- the Sterling whips across from him, he scores that three or four weeks ago. He wraps his foot around it, it goes into the bottom corner, and we're, we're, we're talking about another wonderful f- finish by Daniel Sturridge. Mm. He tried to make sure it happens as opposed to just going with his natural instincts Suarez wanted to win that game more than anybody in that stadium and what we then got was the mad Suarez the one that you know felt that he had to do for the team because he probably had uh, when he seen the storage miss he probably thought to himself you know or even subconsciously he's he's not on form so I, I need to score the goals here today when in fact what he needed to do was ca- take a step back, calm down, and go at him again because he g- he got lost in his battle with Di Michaelis, um, and Di Michaelis handled him v- handled him very well on on the day itself. And then you know the 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 silly things start coming out in the game. To his credit, he should have had a penalty against Vincent Company, mm. but he should have also been sent off for for the dive. But I think Clattenburg called it because the ball was going out of play anyway, and and decided that the events that happens after the, the the ball being lost control of and heading out of play were irrelevant to the game and just ignored what happened. Yeah, um, that's fair, isn't it, Floyd? That um, that you, that was one hyped up individual there um, on the day. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> looks looks like a fucking madman running around the place. Yeah. What I'd say, and I'm wondering, I'm not saying it is the reason, he's right on the verge of breaking records here. I wonder is he starting to play a little bit for Luis Suarez rather than Liverpool. Could be something that could be ended on him. He could be looking at that record and that's why he wants to get this goal out of the way, get be the first man to break 30 goals or whatever it was. I don't know what the exact record is, but he's right on the verge of breaking it. Is he looking at this now at this stage and saying, I want this kind of, I want this record for myself. I want to be the man that does this. And he could be just trying that too hard sometimes you can force things and yeah. if you force it more times than not you just become frustrated and, and things don't come off as normal for you mm. but if it just goes back to playing his natural game it, it will happen again from, but I have to admit he, as soon as he went down under the Demi Callis tackle I said he's gone He's yeah. gone, and and to be honest, he deserved to go for it. It was uh, very, it was I, very, very reminiscent to the Chelsea match last year when he bit Ivanovic. He was building up that that that, that you could the, see it coming, the mad head was coming, see something on coming yeah. right the way through the game. You could just see it was like yeah. from the moment the ta- that he gets the yellow card. Yeah, you're just. You, you, I was breaking it that he was going to get sent off. But, I was convinced he was going to get, and that would have, you know, potentially just fucking derailed the whole thing. Because yeah. if you if you have Henderson out, if you've well, if it was two yellows, he'd only miss one game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting the straight red, like the, um, we talked about Henderson, but Henderson getting the straight red uh, it comes from Victor Moses losing the ball, but we won't, we won't go into that <laughs> yeah, too much, yeah, right? Yeah. But it was to a poor fair, touch, it was a shit touch from Henderson. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Henderson then. In a similar fashion to we're talking about the lads trying too hard, Henderson goes out hell for letter to win that ball back. A yeah. couple of minutes left, just wants to win it, doesn't give a shit, just he's determined to win it and goes in with a reckless challenge yeah. and has paid the ultimate price. He misses out the run in effectively until we get the new Well, he knew it was his fuck but up, didn't he? And, the, you know. the, the way I look at that, that 
second one that Suarez didn't get the card for. If that's against us and there's a player does that on a yellow card, yeah. I'm fucking screaming red. Yeah. And I'm giving out for the rest of the week that that player should have been gone. He shouldn't have got this yeah. out of the game. We got that's that out of the game. Like, that's the way I look at it. Um, yeah. So he, he got Jim, on that occasion. Jim, you were commenting on the game on, on, on Sunday. What was the how 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 was your how was the heart rate at that point when when Suarez goes down under under Di Michaelis' tackle? <laughs> um, well, commentator, well, you, if you if you could call it that, um, <laughs> I'd say it was more like disorganised shouting. Um, but uh, well, funnily, well, funnily enough, you pick up on that, and actually, myself and uh, Simon, who's obviously a friend of the podcast, uh, who were commentating on it, we we didn't see that. Di Michaelis, well, see, this, this, this is kind of a grey area itself because match of the day, they ultimately concluded that Di Michaelis had actually, his ankle, basically Suarez had gone over his ankle. Right. It maybe wasn't a foul because he'd actually took the ball, but it wasn't a dive either. And in that respect, Clattenburg would have got the right call. But at the time, we, we were convinced it was a foul. Mm. We, we didn't, I'm not sure if either of us just kind of didn't think to watch the replay that showed afterwards that it was possibly a dive. But I mean, I've still not seen the replay back since match of the day said, you know, actually... Di Michaelis has won the ball fair and square but then Suarez has just happened to go over his ankle and it's just no one's in the wrong so I, I, I don't know um, about that but I mean uh, yeah that's, that's about as much as I could tell you because uh, we, <laughs> we, we got it completely wrong during the commentary I'm afraid yeah, 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 fair enough. So I'll say one thing actually. Sorry, I'll just say one thing about Henderson's red card. That's the most English sending off you will ever see. Yeah, you know, <laughs> poor touch, poor touch. It runs loose to an opposition player, and you, you're kind of admonishing yourself for the bad touch. And you think, shit, I can't let us lose the ball here because it'd be my fault. And you dive in desperately trying to win the ball, and there we go. I mean, he took the ball, but he took it by kind of you know going in at shin height, didn't he? So. It was you know, can't have any complaints. I don't think there's any malice. I think it's just desperation at that stage of the game. He's took one for the team there. But that's, I mean, looking ahead, I know what we're going to talk about Norwich. The worry is that you could get away with maybe one, one of Henderson or Sturridge not being there, but, but both of them not being there affects who, you, who, who out of the midfield three can play in the front three and vice versa kind of thing. So yeah. that'll be the worry there with... Uh, that, that tackle, Jim, reminded me so much. Do you remember the Mascarano tackle he got sent off for in, in Old Trafford when he just went flying in, he'd lost the ball, and again, just that sort of, I want... I'm, that was, I'm gonna... that was a second yellow, though, because he got... That was a second yellow, wasn't it? Because he got two yeah. yellows that... Yeah. The second, second yellow was for descent, I think. It? It, it's, but it's, it's, it's one of those where you just go... You're, just, you're, you're determined to win the ball back. You're putting yeah. your body on the line. You're right, it, it's, it's a very like uh, quintessential English-type player tackle, but, you know, he's trying to do everything. You can feel the emotion in, in the crowd like that that the whole day that between the 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 game being the anniversary of, of Hillsborough the the crowd was was electric for through the game and like to, to the credit to the credit of the Anfield crowd again when we looked dead and buried at two all because City looked like they were going to romp home at that stage the crowd came back in and you know the the chant started going the singing started going and really got the players and and Rogers' substitution and bringing um, Joe Allen onto the pitch fundamentally changes that whole game for us it it, it really does but it, it's it's also the crowd as well and you can you can see I know we're going to talk about Joe, Joe Allen in a minute and I'll leave it till then but like you know it's, it's, it's such an important bit now for the, for, for, for the team is this vibe that's within the fans that we believe like you know, you know make us believe make us dream and, and, and we believe now if the fans know we believe and they I think they believe themselves the players on the pitch because they have the fans behind them no matter what happens from here yeah, speaking of, of extreme emotions, lads, um, yesterday obviously we had the memorial at Anfield um, on the 25th anniversary of Hillsborough. Um, I'm not sure how many of you got to see how much of it with the various coverage levels there were. 
Um, but a notable feature of it, obviously you would expect all the usual people spoke with all the usual levels of dignity, but one of the notable features of it for me was to see that uh, sort of solidarity expressed by a very articulate uh, man in um, Roberto Martinez. Um, Molly, did you uh, catch his words on the day? Yeah, he, he was. He made a fantastic speech yesterday and you know, it, it made me kind of proud, even though I'm not a scouser, you know, not to, I'm a guy from memory, but just to show the two clubs united in grief over there and armed arm, it made some fantastic words. The whole this you know, the hashtags going on, Mary's side united. I thought all that was absolutely fantastic. You know, Martin is a great manager, great speech, and I tell you something, if I was to pick a team to get fourth. I'd love everything to get it. I really would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, well, yeah, there is that kind of uh, very much sort of mutually uh, uh, embracing atmosphere at the moment. Um, okay, let's move on then to our preview of Norwich versus Liverpool. Right, with Hendo out, um, is it going to be Allen or Lucas to start, or with Sturridge likely to be out too? Is it more or less nailed on bloody that both will start? I think both have to start. Yeah. Um, I know we, we've spoke about it ourselves, between ourselves, and I, I just hate the thoughts of Lucas coming into the side at any stage. I, I just I, I just don't like when he's in the side. Um, I think especially when we've had this whole group of earlier on in the season when midfield wasn't working, it was Gerrard and Lucas. Whatever's happened to Lucas after this injury, he just doesn't seem to have the energy levels that he used to. Mm. Um, you get a good 45, 50 minutes out of him and then you might as well write him off he's gone for the rest of the game um, if he comes back into the side he's not going to go into his preferred position he's going to have to go in and, 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 and do serious work right to replace what Henderson's yeah. gone out of the side on one of the sides of the diamond basically it, yeah. it, basically that's what he has yeah. to do and I said, we'll get 50 minutes out of him I, I don't see us getting much more now I'd love I'd love to turn around at the end of the game and say Lucas is the best player in the park I'd I, I, I love it to happen from and for, for, for myself and for the club as well mm. to win the game but but them players are going to have to come in. They're the only two. Like, who else have we got? Yeah. Who else is there? Why, well, why do we change it? Okay, we'll come back to to, to Lucas. I want to I want to rub uh, that, uh, bounce that question off one or two other people as well. But speak to me about Joe Allen because I was very very impressed with his input uh, when he did come on at the weekend. Joe Allen's he's a, he's a great little player because he he's willing to come on and do the do the donkey work. He, he, mm. He's willing to do that, but he's very very good on the ball at keeping possession of the ball at times I don't think I'd probably disagree slightly with Phil that I, I don't feel he changed the game for us when when that went too well I seen nobody else win that game but City and I actually thought that's only going to be a mistake and it was it was literally a mistake if, if company steps up a hundred times more he's, cause he's smashing that into Rosette like, yeah, you know fact, that, yeah. like it's, it's unheard of like, but, probably but, one of the best defenders in England for the last three or four years yeah, he, had a, mistake, he, he had a dodgy game. game though yeah, he was oh, poor. He, he was poor for the first goals, but he, he was beaten by Skirtle for the second goal. And I remember that you know him marshalling Skirtle last year in, in the actual games, and then he was at fault then for the third goal. He was having one of those fucking rickety mare of, of, of a games. But uh, uh, my take on the Joe Allen coming on and, and why I thought it made such a difference when they brought Milner into the side. Um, they owned the ball. They were p- taking us apart by at will, and I think Alan just brought that sort of cohesiveness back to the actual midfield again. It just it just changed our shape slightly. We were m- much better in possession with the ball. We weren't giving it away as easy because the start of that second half, you might remember, we were just pinging the ball away. We'd stop yeah. finding ourselves. So going into the Norwich game, 
I think playing away from home, Norwich are going to be set up very deep in terms of we're going to have an awful lot of the ball and we need somebody, we need Joe Allen's ability to keep the ball, retain it and move the ball around the pitch and pull them out of position to create the space for us to exploit. And I think that's fundamentally why Joe Allen is so important to this game uh, on Sunday. Um, likewise, with, with the Lucas piece, um, looking at where he, if, if he comes in I agree with Damien on the 45 minutes I think Lucas can do a really good 45 minutes for us but if we play, start both Lucas and Joe Allen and Gerard and one of them get injured we've no options on the, no real experienced options on the bench for a start and we're also making two changes to the shape of our side and to the personnel whereas if you do a like for like swap with Henderson for Allen because Henderson is out you can still play Coutinho Allen and Gerard as your midfield three and you're not fundamentally changing how, how, how your team is going to set up Okay, well, that, uh, so hang on. So, and then, what, what, what way do you see the, the, the lads ahead of him? Up top? Yeah. I'm thinking about that at this moment. Oh. <laughs> 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 Sorry, mate. I've been thinking about this for fucking days. If you play Coutinho, Allen, and Gerard, what are we going to do up top? Because I'm only heading down two alleys at this moment yeah, in time. I, I, one, one of them's called Aspas Avenue. Where, where, where's that kid, Texaria, going? <laughs> you know, he's going to be coming into it very soon. Just, just one thing I'll say about Lucas in, yeah. in the side as well. I didn't, didn't hit him there. Like everyone knows that we've got a big group of him, but what he won't bring to the team and what it'll annoy me about him when he plays against Norwich he, his, is the tempo he plays at like Alan plays at a fast tempo Henderson plays at a fast tempo Lucas comes in it's fucking one tempo like it doesn't change everything's kind of slowed down with him I, mm. don't, I don't know I just feel that way but he just seems to me that he just I, I, slows I, I, down I, our play I think you've probably been a little bit harsh on him but I do think that in terms of the weakness in his game is more to do with the fitness level and because of the speed and the tempo we play at that's why I think he dropped that's, that's why I think you, get, bit, you yeah. get 45 really good minutes out of him and then he struggles a bit then for, for the remaining 45 Molly, give me a more positive slant on, on, on Lucas I know in the past I've heard you speak uh, more or less in favour of him and I'm not fully buying this 45 minutes crack that the lads are going on with so what would you think I mean would you be 47 would you be <laughs> <laughs> would you be nervous to see Lucas start and probably finish the match no no in fact if I had my choice I'd have Lucas starting ahead of Alan because to be honest I'm not really too sure what Alan brings to the team if I'm completely honest with you right. yeah he passes a bit and He's become post, but there's never really any penetration for him. And, you know, he's just not, I, I don't know what he brings to the team. I think Lucas, if you put him in there, at least you can might say, well, put him back into defensive mid and put Gerard up there with Coutinho. And that would leave Sterling and Suarez up top and probably bring in Victor Moses as well. So I think Lucas can offer just a little bit more than what Joe Allen would. And that's why I'd bring him in. Yeah, but Molly, would you not be seriously nervous about moving Stevie away from where he's now proved himself after and adapted to being wonderful? No, because I think, you know, Stevie's a fantastic player. No matter where you put him, if you put him into the defensive midfield, the centre midfield, the right back, the number 10, up top, he's going to do a job for you. Where I think Lucas, I think the only place he's going to do a job for you really is in that defensive midfield role. So that's why I, I, I put him in there and leave Gerard go further up top yeah fair enough fair enough um, James would you just come in behind that as well and um, would you have any different kind of a take on the, the, the midfield options available to us um, like I said it's it wouldn't be too difficult if it was just one of Sturridge or Henderson out but both and suddenly we go from looking like we're, we're uh, we've got a strong 11 and a couple of good options on the bench to sort of being a bit stuck really because uh, 
you could take Coutinho out of the midfield and put him in a kind of say, let's say a front three if you were going to go with a four-three-three. But I don't think Coutinho's actually had that many good games playing from the left. First yeah. of all, yeah. So that's not ideal either. But it may. There's an argument to say that it's better than putting in Moses and Aspas, neither of whom have started a game since January, and neither of whom have looked good enough. Who you know, and taking a team which has kind of got continuity and got momentum. Okay, you've rotated Allen and, and Coutinho and um, Sterling in and out of the starting lineup, but that's three from two, and they're all very much kind of in the loop, if you like. You're putting in two. I mean, you know, Aspas. To be, to be fair, you know, everything you hear about Aspas suggests that his mentality and his application is actually really, really good for a player who's just it's just not worked out for. But he, he knows he's gone in the summer. Surely, M- Moses is just flaky. Um, so do you want, want to be putting either of those in or would it be better to put Coutinho in okay he's not at his best in that role but you kind of know what you're you know you know what you're kind of going to um, you know you, 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 he's kind of he's in the loop so to speak I can't think of any better way of putting it than that but if you do that you're left with you know Alan and Henderson ahead of Gerrard in midfield well I mean the first thing with that is there's not you know from those Two players, there's not a great deal in the way of one sort of threat to score a goal, although, you know, Henderson doesn't really provide a great deal of that either because he's only scored four all season and, and one was a free kick. But there's there's not really that. But more so, there's not really a lot of kind of... And Gerard provides a bit of this from deeper, but there's not really that kind of vertical threat in terms of their passing. Mm. Now, there's a lot of merit to having a player like Alan, who we've talked about before, or just and Lucas did this actually brilliantly in lieu of Alan way at West Ham, just gets into little pockets of space and just lends the ball off people and just uh, just just keeps it moving in such a way that you keep the opposition moving. And if you keep them moving, spaces appear. Yeah. So that, I think, bearing in mind, I think Norwich, although they're at home, will be very cagey here. One, Hewton's a very safety first manager and two, they are, they, they happily take a point from this game. They've got a tough run of fixtures, but if they can collect a point from a couple of them, they may well be all right. So they'll be very, very cagey. And obviously we haven't got the kind of the, we haven't got as much of the threat in behind with storage. So the concern there in that respect is that if you take Coutinho out and Coutinho can force it a bit sometimes in central positions, the the concern is that, that that's one aspect. When you've got the ball, you maybe can be a bit pedestrian and a bit one-paced. The second then, I think, is that <sighs> Lucas and Gerrard in the same midfield was difficult enough with Henderson there. Yeah. Without Henderson there, and Alan's quite mobile and quite tenacious and so is Coutinho, I think you've got a bit of a problem where, you know, it's one thing for Lucas to have a good 45 minutes away at West Ham against a team who are in the second 45 minutes, didn't see a lot of the ball and are tiring and are sitting very deep anyway. Yeah. Asking him to do it for 90 minutes when he's not started a game since Stoke away in January is another question. So we're a little bit, we're a little bit stuck, I think. So I, I, I'm, again, it's one of those situations where I'm glad I'm not going to make a decision because it looks like a set of fairly kind of uh, difficult options. But... Then again, you know, you're talking about whether you play Lucas and Gerrard in the same midfield. It, it is Norwich away. So, that, you know, the, the, the midfield battle shouldn't be that intense because they'll probably be sitting off us quite a bit. So maybe 60, 70 minutes of that, you can get away with that and you throw someone on as an impact player in a wide position. You might put Coutinho in the middle, but that doesn't allow for maybe playing the diamond with, with two strikers. And the, obviously the reason you, you wouldn't be thinking in terms of doing that is just the fact that we've, we've got two very good strikers and not much after that. So I don't know. Might you even try and play... You know, go with four in the middle. You go with Gerrard. You go with Lucas and Allen as as kind of wide players, if you like, in the diamond. Coutinho and then Coutinho behind Sterling and Suarez as strikers. I'd probably rather play Sterling as a striker than I do the other two. He's quick. His movement is fantastic. He's probably about the best replica we've got. Storage. So I'd be tempted to even crowd the middle, ask the fullbacks to push on, and then go with go with two strikers with a kind of um, a player who will play the the killer pass 
yeah. stationed in behind him. I'd maybe do that actually. Yeah, well, actually, well, that sounds like a very valid option. But all I could hear, um, and all I've been able to hear for the last while, is the names of Iago Aspas and Victor Moses. Fully, I'm very nervous that we might have to include these chaps. Um, where does the gold track come from? Like, if if, if if we go back to this idea that Suarez can't be expected to get three goals in every fucking Norwich game, where does the goal threat come from now? I'm looking at the, the Norwich side. It's, it's going to be difficult to know what to expect from them this week. Like, Ewan's being sacked. You know, they might have a manager who just says, fuck it, lads, let's go for this. Like, mm. you know, and they might just go balls out. They mightn't see. So it's very difficult for, for you to select a side to, to go out and combat what Norwich are going to do because you don't know what they're going to yeah. do. We yeah. actually don't know what way they're going to approach the game. Yeah. Um, the, the, the only goal that I can see is if we if we tweak our system and, and play with a four-two-three-one, mm. and have somebody sitting beside Gerrard as that defensive screen, and then letting the four lads go go for it up top. Yeah. Again, the problem will be if that's Lucas and everyone's going to have flashbacks to how that didn't work in the past. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what my worry would be. Mm. Um, our main goal threat is going to come through Coutinho, Suarez and Sterling linking up. Hmm. Um, th- there's no two ways about it. Whatever happens, if, if we've Moses on the left, you know, he, he's not a bad player. Like, let, let's call it a spade a spade. He's a decent player. That Again, this hasn't worked out for him. Like, he's done well at other clubs. Hmm. Like Maybe this could be, as you said earlier on, maybe this is one of them games that there's a he can go and make himself a hero. You I know? Don't, he can put the, the, yeah. the, all the, the months of shite behind him mm. and go and be a hero on Saturday. Coming back to where I was saying earlier on, you were saying, look, if, if, I, if, 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 I, if I was in control of the team and I was picking Coutinho, uh, Allen and Gerrard, as a, just basically putting Allen into Henderson, what would I go up top with storage missing? For me, I'd start Aspas. And the reason I'd start Aspas is because the one thing you're guaranteed from him is work rate and he will work his socks off for the team. That's a right? it, it, all, all you know, form aside and everything, he will work his socks off, work his arse into the ground for the team because he will feel that he can give something and with storage potentially being out, he might have a chance of playing in this run-in and making a telling contribution to, to us actually achieving something. It's Norwich at the end of the day. There's a good chance that he can do something. He's going to occupy space. If he makes runs, they can't afford to ignore him. My problem with Moses is that, and as James said, he, he turns off. He, if, if things doesn't happen for him in the first two minutes of the game, he won't affect it. He won't, he won't look for the ball. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't look hungry. He, he's very lackadaisical. And that comes across from all the reports that have come out. They, they make out that he's been talked to and trying the whole lot. And he still won't, you know, he still won't grab the ball by the, by the horns and, sh- and run with it. So for, if, if we were to go with the way I'm thinking and, be it Allen a straight swap for Henderson the only one that I would start from the likely squad that we have will be Aspas in, uh, alongside Suarez with Sterling staying at the tip of the diamond because again Aspas has the ability as well to pull out wide and you can go to a, a more um, you know, normal 4-3-3 formation if you want or you can you can move things around you could move Coutinho into the 10 and, and, and move Sterling you can change your shape because he's more of a fluid type player so that's my logic behind it. Yes, it's not ideal, but look, lads, coming back to this, right, and in real terms, it's Norwich. There's, there's a nervousness about us because of what we were saying earlier on, that this is an opportunity to win the league, and we don't want to slip up in the, the Norwich match and the Palace match and the Newcastle match. You know, let's embrace this. We're the better team going to Norwich. We are, look at the huddle. Look at, look at the intensity on Gerrard's face. Look at the way the players reacted to that huddle. Look at the way... 
you know, there was a, there was an almost a, a, a feeling that if we could get over the City game, we thoroughly believe that this is in our hands. Forget the 10 games that have gone before us. We only see four games. We only see the game that's in front of us, which is Norwich. And we're coming like a juggernaut towards Norwich and nothing is going to stop us in this. And that's, that was Gerard was more or less telling them. He's screaming at them. It's gone. Mm. No, it's gone. Got a stat for you, Phil. Yeah. Hit me up. Liverpool have scored 27 goals in their last eight matches. Norwich have scored 26 goals all season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the only thing is, James, no, no air look. You know the way Va- Ricky Van Wolfenswinkle hasn't scored a goal since 1904, right? He's, he, <laughs> he, he'd probably get a header or something on, on Sunday against us. <laughs> well, actually, that's a nice little segue into the next little thing we need to look at and we should look at. Um, the phrase, it's Norwich at the end of the day, has been used now three or four times. Um, Floody, what should we worry about in what Norwich have to offer? You mentioned earlier on about the fact that there is going to be potentially, maybe it's only a part-time gaffer in charge, but there's going to be a, a change of mind mindset for sure and they're going to be up for it for sure so what do we have to worry about with them watching them a couple of times this season I, I don't really think they have much that we have to worry about I, I think other than that that probably a new manager coming in he's saying Let, let's just go for this lads what, what have we got to lose we're not expected to win the game the kind of good thing going for they, they, will, they were beaten by Fulham last week mm-hmm. you know and Fulham are piss poor you know that's going to affect them. You know, that, that, that was a huge loss to them as well. They yeah. they put their eggs in the basket that will be Fulham and that will more or less <coughs> yeah. make us safe. Right, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't see where they can hurt us. Uh, I don't know if the lad that they bought off Celtic uh, Hoopers is, is, is he still injured? Injured is he? Was he on the bench? Does anyone remember if he was on the bench on, on the weekend? I can't remember. Well, the, 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 that's probably the only other option you have. Like Van Monks, Van Van Wolfswing. <laughs> Looks Mickey. Like he, yeah, <laughs> looks like he can't hit, hit the fucking net like from anywhere at this stage, you know? Yeah, touch yeah. wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Touching wood. Touching wood. <laughs> and, but, so the only other option he can go with is, is maybe going with, with Hooper and, and trying to get crosses into the box. I, I, I really don't see what they offer. Ah, I really crosses. Fucking cross, crosses. Back to the old cross. And they, like, they'll look at that and say, where can we get some joy? And like, we, we've all seen it. We all think... I guess some joy out Liverpool on crosses because mm. that's always been the way for the last mm. while we've all we spoke about it to death here and I'm sure they're looking at that as well saying so. where, where can we hurt Liverpool okay let's get it we can get a few crosses in David Moyes yeah you do you, do you uh, James is that a fair enough point there that the, the, the floody makes there's if every chance and these guys are just going to get down our flanks and uh, cross the ball and try and upset us in that way um, probably because that's what your typical kind of Less so, I suppose, than maybe 10 years ago because you've had some teams that come up and kind of play a more involved style of football, shall we say. But that's what your typical bottom-arse teams do. I mean, they've got some players with a bit of uh, a bit of imagination and a bit of panache. I mean, Snodgrass is a, is a decent player and he's quite good with the, with the dead balls as well. Hmm. So he's probably one you'd watch out for. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, generally, the you know, shooting's not exactly a manager noted for sort of punching above his weight in attacking terms well Hutton's well, gone isn't he and I've, I've, I've completely I've mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking mentioned Chris Hutton before as well didn't I <laughs> oh for crying out bastard wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good northern Englishism for you there that uh, shit I, mean, I know nothing about how Neil Adams has got him set up so I don't know but I mean you can only work with what you've got and yeah, yeah. The, the, the famous last words obviously but there's, there's not that much that stands out that you think ah oh, shit you know you'd be looking at set pieces you'd be looking at you know Snodgrass with free kicks you'd be looking at their strikers who've scored about two goals between them all season actually kind of finding form against us and only against us and that being the thing that scuppers the title challenge but yeah. that's just 
I don't know. That that that's the way we kind of had to end up thinking when we weren't very good, but we're actually, you know, quite decent now. So even if that happens, we hopefully would have enough to overcome it. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just ba- it's ba- it's hard to know. And basically, our co- yeah. our caution is kind of wrecking our heads completely in terms of what to expect. And we're really uneasy with this idea of the, being the, confident. The, the only threat, the only threat. Go on the Norwich's page on who scored now to actually yeah. see. Good at, <laughs> not, sort of, maybe a bit of knowledge. I think I'm going to be commentating on this one as well. So I know. <laughs> Just remember, Newton was sacked. <laughs> 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 sure, it was telling me that one. Yeah. The, the, only, the only threat that I that I'm a bit wary of is Nathan Redmond on on, 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 on yeah, yeah, on whatever flank he, 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 he actually is he even in the team Phil because he seemed to be scoring a few goals start of the season. Jim, he he, he played um, against Fulham, uh, and to, and to, to Norwich's credit, they should have won the game. They made, your man Stockdale had an absolute worldy against him. Right? He is, was put, it, is it a case of um, he'd maybe gone out of favour under Hutton, and yeah, uh, he's obviously yeah. not the manager anymore? Yeah, and he's only like <coughs> a, 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 yeah. a, a bit like a bit like Sterling. He's only a kid as well, so he's going to have yeah. ups and downs. And given yeah. that, given that we've been linked to him a bit, like you'd wonder is is is, is they're going to be the bit between his teeth, you know, mm-hmm. to put on a performance and, and show Brendan Rodgers. Well, actually, if yeah. if, if Norwich go down I'm, I, I could be available here I'm I might recruitable be yeah. Can I, sorry can I interject with a couple of things if anyone wants to know um, who scored by the way here's what Norwich are good at uh, protecting the lead that's one thing they don't play against us every week though uh, that's what, but then the other surprisingly perhaps given what all I was just saying about you know probably not playing great football they're very good at creating chances through individual skill apparently mm-hmm. they take a lot of long shots play a lot of long balls they do attempt a lot of crosses and they attack down the right and uh, this is very binary stuff but what they're not good at keeping possession finishing chances what a fucking surprise uh, defending against skillful players we've got one or two of those so that's good defending against counter-attacks good at that aerial duels rubbish uh, avoiding individual error as well we're not very good at that either so but there you are that, that's what who scored so, so, so in a nutshell they're shit <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah well. in a nutshell they're, they're fairly poor and bad at all the things you'd expect them to be except they're actually quite good at creating chances through individual <laughs> skills however that's defined so yeah there you are I, I, I don't know how that works okay well factor all that in do do some sort of fucking random equation and tell, give me a prediction for the match uh, I think it may be I think it's a game we'll probably control um, but I think it'll be a bit of a grind at times in the absence of Henderson and Sturridge and we might play quite a patient game with Alan in there so I think it'll finish Norwich City nil, Liverpool 2 very nice Floody your prediction please mate I, I, I was going to go with the 2-0 but I, I think we will control most of the game go 2-0 up they'll get one back we'll be shitting and then we'll score one late in the game to to open a gap up open a gap up again yeah so 3-1 ok yeah, I, I see it being tired in that guy I have to say and uh, I'm relying on my man uh, Suarez scoring to keep see us through uh, Phil your thoughts 4-0 to Norwich lovely <laughs> ok listen to questions uh, Ricky Van Wolfswinkel quadruple <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Right, let's start and have a look at our listeners' questions then. First one is from Hot Misunderstood Guy. He wants to know, what's the worst night spot? Now, he asked Dublin. I just want you to tell me what the worst night spot you've ever been in was. If there's a few lads that, that follow the pod will know this place inside out. Um, this is probably not only the worst club that was ever in Dublin, it's probably the worst club ever in the world. Um, it the was Blue the, the Blue Banana. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what's so bad about it, buddy? What was so yeah. bad about it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it like you, you walked up to the door and the bouncer stopped you? Um, any weapons on you? No. Well, you better take this. You know? <laughs> 
that's how bad it was. There was one night the fella didn't get in. He came back with a with a shotgun and shut the doors in. Uh, one night the the, the, the guard raided the place and strip searched everyone in the whole nightclub. It was horrific, absolutely horrific. Uh, there, there was some of the worst people you're ever going to come across went to this, and you're going to some of the lads that were there. Did you follow us in the round? They're, they're going to be all over this. They're going to be tweeting about this. It was, it was shocking. If there was a league of Dublin criminals, right? <laughs> they're meeting places the blue banana. Do, do you remember that song in the late 90s, uh, State of Grace, It's Not Over Yet? Remember that? No. Yes, I remember it well. Yes, yeah, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a club song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got her to sing that song live there. She, she got manhandled by the front row. They had to get the bouncers in to get her out the back door. <laughs> Blue Banana does sound a bit like the name of a club that would feature in the, the film Chopper, if anyone's seen that. <laughs> yeah. Bojang was actually the club in Chopper, isn't it? But yeah, the, you can imagine Chopper going down to the Blue Banana, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the worst ever. All right, next one up is from Chimp, and Chimp is wondering, if you could make a sandwich using a bodily fluid, which one would it be and why? Sandwich with a bodily fluid. It's not much of a choice now, but what would you think? I'm going to say for the lads, we've got to say you've got to use salmon because most of us have been trying to get a woman to swallow for years. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you can't knock it. You, know? you can't say, oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you know what the right answer to this one is? <laughs> you know, there is a very, very obvious answer and you, you, you've just sold yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> Tears. 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 Salty. Salty. Salty tears. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bloody semen sandwich. <laughs> coming to a deli near you. Coming in a deli near you. <laughs> coming in a deli near you. I'll have the special mayonnaise, please. <laughs> real, real salty stuff. Oh, spunk, spunk baguette. Uh, right, let's go to. Bloody, tell me where the worst place, and this is a question from Stewie, worst place you could take a girl for a date on. The blue banana. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the blue banana now. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, Kaylin asks, which TV series doctor would you most like to be and why? If you're going to be a TV series doctor, which one would you be? Phil, any shout here? Um, George Clooney in ER. I don't know what his name was. Right. Just purely because it's George Clooney. Uh, what, you'd like to be George or you'd like to be George because he gets... The ladies. The ladies. Yes. Yeah, that's fair enough. Perks of the job. Perks of the job. Hello, I'm George Clooney. Oh, no. <laughs> that's <laughs> job. Louis Suarez. Uh, James, if you're going to be a doctor in a TV show, which one would you be? Just because it's a moderately obscure shout, I'll say Dr. Cusimano off The Sopranos, who's uh, Tony Soprano's neighbour, and referred uh, Tony to Dr. Melfi. So, hey, without Cusimano, The Sopranos wouldn't have happened, would it? They wouldn't. They would have never made a TV series about oh, it. You're, so. you're taking one for the team there, Floody. If you're going, <laughs> to be... I don't know what kind of weird reason I'm using there about fixing the television show, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Floody, okay. TV doctor. Dr. Drake Mamoroi. Oh! <laughs> Joey from Friends, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, Phil, you are out at a nightclub and you are chatting a bird up at a bar and you realise all of a sudden when you look in the mirror that you've got Sergio Aguero's haircut. What do you do? I stop talking to her and wire myself in the mirror. <laughs> do you, do you, are, are you a fan of the Aguero? Oh, all those haircuts are wonderful. Are they? Yeah. 
they're like deconstructed haircuts. It's like that advertisement for um, I, I don't know, it's a radio station or something over that's over here at the moment, where your man is, has the barber's made a complete butcher job of his hair. It was shaved on the side, and there's a floppy bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I love those deconstructed. It's like I can go back and get it finished, or uh, this will do for a while. I just I couldn't be arsed. I have to say, and it's absolutely no trace of hair envy. I think they're shit. I was <laughs> I was looking I was looking at a girl coming on the other day, and I was going, "You've got half a haircut, fella." I just thought it was rotten. Properly listen, listen, you can have any haircut you want, and I, I'd, I'd recommend anyone to look up your man Pinella, who I can't remember what team he plays for in Germany. And it's if you think Aguero's a shocking, the lad is going bald, and he has willow the wisp all oh over God, the shop with a mullet and the shaved. He's bits. got four haircuts. He's got four <laughs> haircuts in one, and yeah. he's also balding. He's, he's, yeah. he's worse than Zidane ever was playing football. That's Shemak, what about Shemak? Shemak's blatantly going, you know, rapidly receding on top, but he's maintaining that kind of. Mullet like a sort of an Emmerdale character from about 2004. He was kind of a bit bad <laughs> influence. You know, he's still going for that. It's hard. It's hard to know whether you admire Shamak's haircut or you just laugh at the fucker. The sooner somebody brings a toupee onto the pitch, the better. Because I'm, 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 I'm all on for bringing toupees back. Yeah, is, well, it, is it is it kind of like vanity in vain, or is it like a, a, a complete abject lack of self awareness in this case? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, speaking speak for myself, if I looked in the mirror and I'd got Aguero's haircut, it'd probably be a fucking improvement on what I've got because I've got something even more. <laughs> <laughs> I only hope that I'd kind, of, I'd kind of like acquired the bone structure to actually be able to pull that haircut off. Yeah. I'd probably rather have that. Yeah, we, we've, we've all made funny promises here about what we'll do if Liverpool win the league and I'm going to add on to my later hose and shout. <laughs> I, if, if somebody wants to get somebody wants to get me a toupee off an Aguero haircut, I'll wear that as well. I will have a toupee for you. If we if we won the league going uh, into Newcastle and you will have to host a show in the King Harry no wearing a toupee no and, and, and later hose. No fucking problem. And your Charlie Chaplin moustache. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the clincher. Uh, right. Next one is uh, from Barry, and Barry says, "If you could have one thing free from the rest of your life, what would that thing be?" Just have a wee think about that. And it can't be money. It can't be money because that's the clearly obvious answer. Free access to every Liverpool game. Nice. That's a good shout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do access to the game, not travel around, just game. How are you going to get there? Free access to the game <laughs> with free travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly changed. Okay, finally some admin. Neil Pools, we are Liverpool fanzine, is going to be available uh, at the Chelsea game for the first time and it's going to be an ongoing feature. Uh, it really, really does promise to be a wonderful, wonderful publication. Myself and Phil uh, and a lot, a lot of other more eloquent contributors uh, are going to be part of that, so get it and uh, support that um, particular publication. You should also get on to lfcdaytrippers.com, check out the excellent and varied content on there. Um, and while you're at it, remember that we did this extra Hillsborough Remembrance podcast this week also. Fair play to Johnny Rep for our class intro music as ever. Uh, there are eight days left of the five times competition. We'll offer you a chance to enter via Twitter uh, during the week, so keep an eye on our feed for that. And don't forget our joint event with AI, Carnage at the Harry, a live podcast on May the 11th. Uh, there will be something going on from 2.30 to 7.30, so get yourself along to that. And finally, your day trippers tonight were James Owens, Molly, Phil Casey, Damien Flood, and myself, Trev Downey. It's gone. This pod is gone, lads. We move on to the next one. We move on to the next one. We get it right. Come on! Come on! <laughs>
Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.